right, we'll be in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and 13, actually. We'll be in Revelation 12 and 13. Um, so these next three weeks, um, we're going to jump around a little bit. So last week, Tim preached Revelation 4 and 5. Um, this week, we're going to do 12 and 13 because there are things introduced, there are things that are explained in 12 and 13 that, that, um, will help us better understand chapters 6, 8, 9, 10, uh, 14 and 15. Um, so then next week, we're going to do chapter 6 to 15 after doing this. And then the week after that, we're going to do 7 through 11. And then we're going to finish out the rest of the book probably in the right order. Sound good? All right, so two things about this, two groups of people I want to give a comment to right quick. Um, first, Christians, followers of Jesus. Um, John uses a lot of detailed imagery in this, in this prophecy we're about to read. Um, and there are a lot of phrases and, and pictures that have a lot of Old Testament background. Um, there's a lot of detail in this vision we're about to read. Um, I'm not going to go through every single um, aspect of this this morning. Um, I'm going to explain just enough to get the main ideas. So there are some things that we're going to read that I'm not going to explain. I'm not skipping over it. I'm just trying to get to the main idea. With that, y'all might be disappointed. We ain't going to talk about the Mark of the Beast that much. So just say that. (laughs) 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 Um, If you're you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you picked a great day to come. Um, We're going to talk about beasts and dragons um, and wars in heaven. Um, I want to say that um, our worldview is shaped by Jesus in the scripture. Um, and the scripture seems to assume spiritual and supernatural things. So I'm going to get to talking about the devil and angels and deep blah, blah, blah. Um, it might seem weird, um, but this is a part of the worldview that we believe is reality because Jesus has given it to us. Um, so with that in mind, Revelation chapter 12, stand with me. Um, John says, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great dragon with a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of the heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Does that sound familiar? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, this is a gospel announcement. This is heaven's gospel announcement. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brother has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, 
because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a time and a half time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and the woman to sweep after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now we're going to read the second part of this. Um, just imagine that chapter breaks not there. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Out of its heads, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, and blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. This is a hard, this is one of those hard sayings in the Bible. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. And if anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from the heaven to earth in front of people. And by the sign that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man, and his number is six. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your revelation. We, we want to see you today, and we want to see all that you want us to see. So speak to us. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So when I was in high school, um, a rapper that I enjoyed quite a bit named a song on his album, Christmas in Harlem. I want to take that title, twist it a little bit, and we'll title this talk, Christmas in Heaven. Christmas in Heaven. Um, now, I'm going to start by making some friends and making some but I don't think that it's just appropriate, but I think it's right to start planning and preparing for Christmas the second the first leaf falls in the fall. Um, I'm of the opinion that God 
providentially allowed us to have Halloween and Thanksgiving so that we could have a few months to pull out the Christmas boxes and uh, uh, defrost Mariah Carey. Um, one of the things I want to pull out of the Christmas box is uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, you know that movie? Um, so the, the premise of the movie is Charlie, he's on a mission to figure out what is the reason for the Christmas season? What's the true reason for Christmas? And so Lucy, she, she convinces Charlie that if he can, uh, if he can manage and organize the, the yearly Christmas program, that he'd figure out what the reason for the season is. So Charlie, he riles up all the peanut kids and tries to get them to be a choir and he fails and then he tries to go buy a beautiful tree and he fails and uh, on the night of the show, he finds himself laid out backstage, uh, like, oh, I'll never know the reason of the season. And then Linus, the boy with the blanket, walks up and asks what's wrong. And Charlie says, I'm trying to figure out what the reason of the season is. And Linus says, say no more, fam. So Linus walks out onto the stage and he drops his blanket. I think one of the only times he drops his blanket in this whole thing, drops his blanket and starts to quote Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. Now, I'm not going to quote it, but for two reasons, one of two reasons, you decide which one it is. Either one, I don't want to make you jealous with my Bible knowledge, or two, your pastor can't recall that scripture if his life depended on it right now. Um, so you decide. Um, so Linus, who may or may not be a better Christian than me, starts to tell the Jesus' birth story. And then he walks off, he goes backstage, and he says, that's the true reason for the season, Charlie. Uh, Linus, he told the Christmas story to show Charlie and everyone that Jesus is the reason for the season. That's what John's doing. John, in our text, he's telling us the Christmas story, not from the nativity scene your grandmother might have had in her house, but from heaven's perspective. And he's telling you that story to show you that Jesus is the reason for the season. But he's not talking about the Christmas season. The season he's referring to is these, these, the recipients of this letter, they're in a season of antagonism yeah. right now. Um, at the time of writing, the Roman Empire has, has made it illegal for them to follow the way of Jesus outside of Israel and in Asia or Turkey where they are. So right now the Roman Empire is saying, it's probably illegal what you're doing. R right now at the time of writing, they're being pressed to, to, to bow down to some commercial god so that they can do business in the city. It's a time of antagonism. As we speak, there are Christians in Somalia being hunted down for claiming the name Jesus. Right now as we speak, in Iran, there are Christians being held on trial because following the way of Jesus is considered a, 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 a threat to national security. Right now as we speak, society, the Western society in which we live, is, is at the least saying there are aspects of the way of Jesus that are problematic. Now, now, now hear what I'm not doing. I'm not claiming that Christianity has historically been without criticism. Surely there are some things that we, the Global Sea Church, Universal Church, have in our history. We've sinned against people and we've done wrong. So I'm not saying we're, against, we're without criticism. And I'm not assuming an overdramatic persecution complex. You hear me? Like uh, 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 Starbucks choosing not to use Christian messaging during Christmas season is not persecution. But hear what I am saying. There are times where as the people of Jesus, we got to take a step back. And it's like, man, this seems like direct opposition. This seems like hostility. This seems like it's on purpose. It's a season of antagonism. 
And John, he's writing to say, Jesus is the reason for the season. I'm going to get into this later, but John's saying, sometimes the antagonism that Christians experience isn't because of what Christians did, but because of what their Christ did. He says, Jesus is the reason for the season. So what I want to do is I want to run through this Christmas story as John tells it. And as we run through this story, we'll understand what it means for Jesus to be the reason for the season. But within that understanding, we'll get clarity on the world in which we live and how to live in that world. Sound good? Yeah. So let's go to scene one. The setting of scene one is heaven. And John says he sees a woman. He says she, she's shining like the sun and she's got the moon under her feet. Song of Solomon chapter six, that's how the woman who is the recipient of Song of Solomon, that's how she's described. Who is this woman? John, he says this woman has a crown and it has 12 diamonds on the crown. Um, some think that's, that's either the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament or the 12 apostles in the New Testament, probably both. Um, and, and John says she was, she was experiencing contractions, birth pains. Uh, Isaiah 66, Micah chapter 4, the people of God are described as a woman in labor as they're waiting for the Christ to come out of them. This, this woman in heaven is the people of God. And it says she was about to birth the baby who's to rule all the nations. Uh, you know the Christmas passages. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. On his shoulders the government will rest. Of his kingdom there will be no end. It, the scriptures constantly talk about this baby, this Christ, this Messiah, who will come as the king of the world. And this woman in heaven, John says, she did that thing that made women look like super humans. Is she, she birthed the baby. But check this. It ain't no silent night in Christmas in heaven. John says there's a dragon in the room. And he says the dragon is preying on the woman that he might devour the baby. But, but, but who's this dragon? Later, John says this dragon right out is the devil. Listen, friends, Satan unloaded the clip trying to take Jesus out. I mean, I'll just give you a few examples right here. Matthew chapter 2, Satan influenced the government to systematically murder every Hebrew, Hebrew baby boy when uh, Jesus' birth was announced. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Satan, in his, tempti- in his tempting of Jesus, tried to influence Jesus to jump off a building. Matthew chapter 27, Satan influenced the crowds to, to call for and carry out the lynching of Jesus. The, Satan unloaded the clip. I'd imagine Satan was so happy in Matthew chapter 27 as Jesus laid down. I bet he thought he took Jesus down. But then John says, no, no, I saw that baby was caught up to God and to his throne. What's John saying? Yes, Jesus might have went down, but God rose him up. And, 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 then, and then there's an angel that says, now the victory of our God has come. But, but, but then John says, right after that, that kickstarts something. He says, immediately after Jesus went up into heaven, he says, there was a war that arose in heaven. Heaven's armies, Satan armies start going at it, and heaven's armies beat down on Satan. It says Satan was cast down into the earth. And that's where the gospel announcement from heaven comes. Now the salvation, now the kingdom, now the authority of our God and our Christ has come. He's saying in Jesus coming, dying, living, and raising, Satan was defeated. And here's what I think that means. I think it's up here behind me. One, Jesus reversed the sin that Satan deceived us into, which means two, Jesus silence the accusations of sin that Satan brings against us. Therefore, three, Satan has no place in the presence of God anymore. 
is that no, 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 Jesus handled the sin problem. Therefore, he silenced the accusation. So Satan can't be in God's ear anymore. He's thrown out of heaven down to earth. So um, let me tell you this preacher story that I heard. It's fake, um, probably, because it's a preacher story. Um, there is a there's this um, old man, not an old man. He was a father and he worked a hard nine to five. And um, on Saturday, Saturdays were his day. On Saturday, his mission was to sit down in his chair and watch the football game. That's all he's trying to do on Saturday. And so he gets everything together. He gets down in his chair and he's watching the game. And from the backyard, he hears, Daddy, I'm stuck. So like any compassionate father, he leans up and he says, Huh? Here's, Daddy, I'm stuck. So now he knows he has a problem. His young toddler son, um, who was outside playing in the toy jungle gym, the set broke on him and, and it collapsed on him and now the boy's stuck in it. So this dad thinks, okay, I've got to handle this problem. So first his dad tries to encourage him out. He says, you can do it. You've got my genes in you. Come on, we're athletic. And he leans back a few minutes later. Daddy, I'm stuck. So he thinks, okay, that didn't work, so I'll instruct my boy out. He says, slide to the left. Slide to the right. One hop this time. He leans back and he's like, daddy, I'm stuck. So now he's gotten angry. And he thinks, okay, I've got to scold him out. Why'd you get in the thing anyways? Those are your mother's jeans. I told you you should have been out there playing. What's wrong with you? And he leans back thinking he fixed the problem. Daddy, I'm stuck. So finally this dad thinks, okay, the only thing I can do is I've got to, I've got to stand up from my seat. So he stood up. He walked into the backyard. He saw his son stuck in this broken jungle gym. He stepped into the broken jungle gym, pulled his son out and fixed the thing. He fixed the problem by standing up and stepping in. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you, listen, friends, we we are in a broken world that was uh, broken by the sin that Satan deceived us into. We are not only stuck in this broken sin world, we're also stuck in our own guilt from that sin. But our God, he did not just encourage us out. He did not just try to instruct us out. He didn't scold us out. Our God stood up from his throne, put on flesh, stepped into this world, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, rose a justifying resurrection, and he fixed the problem. He fixed it by standing up and stepping in. Check it, though. You didn't ask him to do that. (laughs) This wasn't your plan. This was his plan out of his own initiative. So let the work of God's hands reveal the posture of God's heart towards people. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, he's not standoffish. God's arms aren't folded. God's not scolding you. He's not saying, get it together and then come to me. He's saying, no, I did it 2,000 years ago. Just come. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen, he silenced the accusations. I know them voices in your head, you're entertaining, but God ain't. God's not persuaded by them voices you're hearing. God's not considering them voices you're hearing. God said, no, I silenced the accusations. I handled your sin. I'm not being persuaded by these sin accusations. I made up my mind. There's scene one. What, what scene one? Scene one is God's victory. It's that God defeated Satan. But have you ever wondered what Satan's been doing for the past 2,000 years? 
Like, I mean, he lost a long time ago. Have you ever wondered what he's been doing since he lost? That, that's what John, he answers in scene two. John in uh, Revelation 12, I'm moving down and I think verse six now, uh, John says that once Satan was cast down, it said once he realized that he'd been cast down, once he realized he'd been defeated, he, he turned to pursue the woman. He turned to pursue the people of God. This is where we get our word persecute from. He turned to persecute, pursue the woman. Then the angel in the gospel announcement says, woe to you on earth for Satan has come to you in his wrath. He, Satan, he responds to his loss to Jesus by pursuing Jesus' people. So, so can I tell a secret? You got to promise not to tell nobody though. Um, live stream, don't tell anybody this. Um, I know someone whose name uh, might sound like Iran Ott. Um, when he was younger, he lived with his grandmother and uh, he did a whole bunch of stuff he shouldn't have been doing in his grandmother's house. And so one day his grandmother caught him and his grandmother not only stopped him from doing the thing he was doing, uh, she grounded him for doing the thing he was doing and then sent him to his room. So he starts to storm to the other side of the house where the bedrooms are, and he's going down the hallway, and instead of turning right into his room, he turns left into his grandmother's room. He gets into his grandmother's room, and he starts to throw a temper tantrum. What's that temper tantrum look like? That temper tantrum looks like throwing her pillows around the room. He, he, he was shut down by his grandmother and responded by, by throwing a temper tantrum, which looked like throwing his grandmother's stuff around. You can't tell nobody that. Now, can I tell y'all another secret? The attacks on the people of Jesus that you see, it ain't nothing but a temper tantrum. I don't want to minimize global persecution and the pain of the people of God throughout history, but let's put it in perspective. It ain't nothing but a temper tantrum. This is all this is, is Satan throwing a temper tantrum because he's been defeated. This is Satan throwing a temper tantrum because he's already lost. This is Satan throwing a temper tantrum because he's been cast down. Listen, what we see might not be what we think we see. When, when you're looking at all of this stuff, when, when you're looking at the killings of Christians, when you're looking at society turning against Christianity, this is not a sign or, or, or a detriment to, to, the, to the cause of Christ's future victory. This is a sign of Christ's past victory. So listen, some of us, some of us who, 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 you don't have to consider yourself older. Some of us who are older than me, let's make it subjective and relative. Some of us who are older than me, we've grown up in a country where Christianity was given the privilege politically and societally. And now we're watching that fade. If we're not careful, we could become so overcome with our outrage that we think this is doing damage to the cause of Christ. Jesus ain't took a loss yet. And he won't start now. Listen, those of us who are younger, my age and younger, we hear stuff I've heard. If Christians would just fill in the blank, then people would like them more. <laughs> in a sense, yes, that's true, because we're wild sometimes. But listen, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah, John says, because Jesus won, Satan went at Jesus' people. You can't get good enough to avoid hostility. You can't get good enough to avoid antagonism. Strictly because you have joined yourself to Jesus, you are the object of Satan's temper tantrum against Jesus. Ain't that encouraging? <laughs> so, so, so what's that look like? Have you ever wondered what that might look like? Um, that's what John gives us in scene three. I'm moving into Revelation 13 now. 
John, he's going to describe to us what Satan's pursuit of the people of God might look like. Now, this looks like a lot of different ways, but John gives us the way it was happening at the time of writing, which I think is what's happening right now for us, too. Um, so um, my wife, a few years ago, her first job, she worked for a foster care agency that was contracted by the government. Um, so the government had a work they wanted to do. They wanted to take care of children in the foster care agency. Therefore, they contracted or employed this agency, and the agency sent out individual workers into the streets to get the work done. This ain't about to be an anti-state servant. Some of y'all got too excited. Um, I'm just using this as an illustration, as a picture. Um, Satan has work that he wants to do, pursue the people of God. He ends up employing beast one, who ends up sending beast two out into the streets to get the work done. So let's look, let's look at these two beasts. Who's beast one that Satan originally employs? Satan says this beast, he, he has, um, he has uh, crowns on his head with horns and diadems. Um, let me back up, let me back up. Satan says this beast, or John says this beast looks like a lion and a leopard and a bear. He's borrowing from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision where he sees multiple beasts that look like these things. Um, and God ends up interpreting that for Daniel. These are kingdoms, specifically Babylon, who is the ruling empire of Daniel's day. So Daniel sees these beasts, and it's like, that's Babylon, that's Persia. Um, John doesn't see multiple beasts. He sees one beast that looks like all these beasts. Um, so there's a good chance, John, what he's seeing is, is the immoral, oppressive Roman empire at the time. And then it says that this beast has a crown on his head with diadems. Um, in Daniel's vision, those diadems all represented individual kings. So these diadems on this, on, on Rome's crown are individual Roman emperors. And then John says that they had blasphemous names written on them. Um, John says later that they were allowed to speak blasphemies against God and his people for a period of time. Check this out. Roman empires, Roman emperors made it an Olympic sport to speak blasphemies. Like, no, 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 it was just what they did. And they didn't just speak blasphemies by um, saying bad things about God. They spoke blasphemies more so specifically by claiming God's status, starting with Caesar. So so the emperor at the time of writing, Domitian, in 96 AD, his favorite title for himself was our Lord and our God. He said, no, what y'all call me is our Lord and our God. Uh, so, 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 so this is the, 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 the beast. And then it, 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 he didn't just do this because he was into himself. This was his way to demand people's devotion. If I can convince you I'm God, I can get you to devote yourself to me. And that's why John says people worship the beast. And by, as a byproduct, they end up worshiping Satan. I want to show you what this guy Robert Mount says. Can we pull up that quote? Robert Mounts, he ends up saying, There we go. He ends up saying, the beast has always been and will be the deification of secular authority. It's a counterfeit power that is self-centered, behaves as if it were fully autonomous, and demands total allegiance and excessive praise. Um, let me simplify that. The beast is any human-centered idea, human-centered entity, human-centered person, human-centered system, that, 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 that rejects God and demands your devotion. So, 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 um, this is a, this is a disordered solar system, if you will. 
So you got the solar system and you got the sun in the middle and then the other nine or eight planets that I can't name right now. And everything goes good because the sun is built to be at the center of the universe. Sun has the gravitational pull. Sun can warm everybody up. Now imagine you decentered the sun and put Uranus in the middle of that universe. Uranus doesn't have the gravitational pull. Uranus isn't built to be the center of the universe. We'd all literally die if Uranus was at the center of the universe. This is what Satan's doing. Satan, he's trying to, he uses disordered systems. Systems that decenter God and put humanity at the center of them. Listen to me. Satan don't got to kill you if he can get you to decenter God. Satan don't got to kill you if he can get you to put you at the center of your own personal universe. What does this look like? This looks like devoting ourselves to humanity before God. This looks like letting humanity shape my moral perspective and framework. This looks like humanity dictate my actions. This looks like humanity dictating my speech. This looks like humanity directing my life and being. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying cast out humanity. I'm just saying it's disordered. No, no, we've got to start with God first. You, re, you, you, you relate rightly to God first. You relate rightly to humanity. You, you, you prioritize humanity before God, it all crashes. I'm going to get more specific and come to your doorstep in this second beast. Um, the second beast. The second beast that the first beast uses. It says the second beast had the, had the same authority of the first beast. Basically, the first beast delegated and authorized the second beast to be sent out into the world. Um, and the second beast, its job was to get people to worship the first beast and therefore worship the empire. Um, there, there's split consensus on who specifically this is at the time. Some think it's the priest from the Roman imperial cult. The emperors didn't just claim uh, the name God. They started their own religion and had their own priest. So some think these are priests that they sent out into the world to try to get people to worship the emperor. Some people think these are people within the church who are saying, yo, dudes, it's in our best interest if we just bow down. And it said that this second beast was allowed to do all kinds of cool tricks. Um, it said make fire come down from heaven. You remember that in Elijah? Prophet Elijah could make fire come down in heaven. Um, this is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 13 where Moses says there are going to be false prophets who are going to do some cool looking tricks that can get you to, to, to turn your devotion away from God. And it says that whoever this person was, they ended up convincing people to create an image of the emperor. So I don't got to get you to worship the emperor to his face. I can get you to just make a, a statue of him and devote yourself to that. Check this quote by this guy named G.K. Beale. Um, he says, the image transcends narrow reference only to an idol of Caesar and includes any substitute for the truth of God at any age. Yeah. He says, there are false prophets running around, familiar people in the streets that are convincing you to, to, to cultivate and formulate and, and conceptualize your own substitute for God. And these are familiar faces. These are people they see every day. You know what's crazy to me? Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, um, pastor of First Christian Church of Jerusalem, uh, megachurch, is massive. When he was in Bible college, his worst day was also his best day. You know, that's crazy to me, right? So, so, so Jesus, he's teaching his boys on a mountain outside of this place called uh, Philippi. And he turns and asks his boys, who do you say I am? And Peter stands up, me, 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 Jesus. You, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father is who, in, who is in heaven. Paraphrase, God showed that to you and God said that through you. That's a good day. When God just drops something on you and then, and then speaks to you. So Jesus, he keeps on preaching. And he says, BT dubs, in a few months, I'm going to die. Um, and I'm going to be resurrected again. And mid-sermon, this cat Peter comes out of his seat, walks up onto the platform, pulls Jesus to the side. And he says, yo, cuz, <laughs> you can't say that. Uh, not only can you not say that, you can't do that. Messiahs don't die. And Jesus, four sentences in my Bible, after saying God spoke through Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. I don't think Jesus was speaking metaphorically. I think Jesus recognized Satan speaking through the mouth of Peter. Peter and Jesus were best friends. And Jesus recognized Satan working through a familiar face. What John's trying to show us is, hey, Christians, we're going to Recognize Satan working through familiar faces. This, this is going to look like uh, your favorite political talking head telling you that your only hope and the only hope for humanity is a person or party being in power. This is going to look like uh, your favorite blogger telling you the only hope for your kid is if you let you or you let them decide how their life is going to be and not God. This looks like you, you start all people in helping professions. Oh, my goodness. Friends, listen to me. Listen to me. Let me help you. Pastors included. Our motivation cannot be just to help people. You hear me? Helping people cannot be the starting point for why we do what we do. Because if I start by helping people, people define what I do, how I do, when I do, how far I do, they become the dictator of my calling. Listen, we start with the call of God. And we end up helping people through that. Here's what's at stake. What's at stake is who am I starting with? Is my starting point God or is it people? Is it God's word or is it people's opinions? Is it God's mission or is it people's actions? Who am I starting with? And John says, there are going to be familiar faces out there that'll get you to start with people. And you participating in that is you participating in Satan's great plan to kill you and them. Ain't that good news? Ain't this encouraging? But John, 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 he, he doesn't stop the story there. He gives us the last closing scene of the Christmas story and he shows us God's response to Satan's actions. Uh, if you jump to the top of Revelation 12, it says the woman, she, she fled off into the wilderness, pay attention to that, into the wilderness for 1,260 days where she was to be nourished um, in a place prepared by God. Later, John says that the woman flew off on eagle's wings into the wilderness and God nourished her. Later, it says that Satan tried to send an attack on the woman and God made the earth open up and swallow the attack and God nourished her. This is all the book of Exodus and Numbers. So, so, so the wilderness, you know that. That's, that's the exodus. But it says the woman flew off on the eagle's wings. Oh, after God beat down on Pharaoh and brought the people out into the wilderness, he brought them to Mount Sinai. And the first thing he said, he says, now look back over the, over the past 40 days of your life. He says, I carried you out on eagle's wings. 
So, so, so then, then it says that God's nourishing this woman. He's feeding her. He's growing her. He's developing her for 1,260 days. After Daniel did his prophesying, this dude named um, um, Epiphanes, he, he, he cracked down on the Jews. And Daniel's prophesied time was 1,260 days, not a day shorter, not a day longer. And that's what it was. So when John says God's nourishing the people of God for 1,260 days, he's saying that God is nourishing you for the totality, the complete duration of Satan's pursuit of you. He said, God's growing you through Satan's pursuit of you. You know you can use uh, fire for two purposes, right? Some of y'all have used fire to, to melt something, like you've thrown trash in the fire to melt it and destroy it. Some of y'all have used fire to make something, to make s'mores. Here's what it means for God to nourish you in the, in, in, the, in the middle of Satan's pursuit. God repurposes the fire. He says, Satan will send the fire to melt you. God will use that fire to make you something. Satan will send that fire to melt you. God will use that fire to make you more like Jesus, to make you more loving, to make you more uh, gracious, to make you more beautiful, to make you more glorified. God turns that destructive fire into a refining fire, and he makes you something. So, so, so John, in his Christmas story, he shows us God's triumph and Satan being thrown out. So this, this trouble you're going through, that ain't nothing but a temper tantrum. And he's saying, here's how he might try to get you. He might try to pull you away through some familiar faces. But, 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 but take heart. God's nourishing you through all of this. That's the world that we live in. And I'm about to sit down. But John, he wants us to see the star of the story so we can know how to live in this world. So, so um, let me tell you about me. Um, sorry for another sports reference. Um, I'll try better next week. Um, uh, I went to a private Christian high school my junior and senior year of high school. Um, I probably need to go to professional counseling. Um, my college heights kids, I feel you. Um, it's a joke. Um, but I uh, played football my junior year um, at that school. And uh, I mean, I took a beating. Uh, I was maybe 5'6", maybe 135. I uh, carried the ball like 25 times a game, not because I was good, because I was the best at running for my life. So like, just give him the ball and watch him. And he'll probably, maybe he'll get away at some point. Um, and we were bad. I mean, game one, beating. Game two, beating. Game three, beating. Game four, beating. Game five, beating. Game six, beating. Game seven, beating. We get to game eight, the last game of the season. We drive from Lawton to Tulsa, three and a half hour drive to play this school called Metro Christian. So I was the captain this year, and I'm in the locker room telling my boys, we ain't going out like this. We're going to go out with some dignity. We're going to fight. We're going to win this last game of the season. We're going to put some pride on Lawton Christian football's name. And so we went out, and our quarterback threw some of his best passes because of my speech. <laughs> I, I ran some of my best runs. Our defense got some of their best stops. We played so hard that two minutes into the third quarter, we were only down by 45. <laughs> But here's the thing, though. Um, it was a private school, so we were a smaller school, and we played eight-man football. Oklahoma eight-man football has a rule that says if you're down by 45 at halftime or any time after, game's over. Officially, that's a loss on the books. So we're two minutes in this third quarter like, well, that was our chance at going out with some dignity. So we're getting ready to go, and the coaches from the other side run over to our side, and they're like, look, man, we know you drove all this long way. We're not going to send you home yet. We'll let, we'll let you play out the last few minutes of the game uh, to the final whistle. 
And I'm proud to say that Lawton Christian football, we scored our first touchdown of the season with one minute to go in the last game of the season. So, so catch this. We are absolutely like hype over the, like our seniors are crying. No lie. Our seniors are crying. We're like giving hugs. Our dude that scored ran off the court, ran off the field and like we uh, gave our coach a Gatorade bath. We are absolutely hype. You know, it'd be tragic. If one of those boys from Metro saw us score and celebrate and thought, it ain't looking too good over here. I might need to go to that side. Why would that be tragic? Because Metro already won. We're just in the in-between time. And that final whistle's going to blow and it'll all be over. John, John's telling you, church, don't you switch sides in the in-between. Yeah. Why? Because why? Jesus already won. Yeah. I'm saying... On Good Friday, he was hung up on a cross. On Holy Saturday, he was laid down in a tomb. On Easter Sunday, he was raised up in power. He got up in victory. He is the one who already won. He got up and Satan was shackled. He got up and sin was dismantled. He got up and death was put to death. He is the one who already won. And right now we're in the in-between time, but friends, that final trumpet is going to blow and it'll all be over. I'm saying that trumpet's going to blow and our Jesus is going to crack the sky. That trumpet's going to blow and sin will be erased. That trumpet's going to blow and Satan will be put to death. That trumpet's going to blow and death will be eradicated. That trumpet's going to blow and pain will perish. That trumpet's going to blow and mourning will cease. That trumpet's going to blow and tears will be dried. That trumpet's going to blow and it'll all be made new. So here's what I'm saying. Praise be to God who's already given us the victory in Jesus Christ. Sweet sides in the in-between. Specifically, keep Christ at the center. Regardless of how much pressure there is, regardless of how compelling it sounds, regardless of how expedient it seems, keep him at the center of it all. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we thank you for your victory. We praise you. We 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 declare that you do wear the victor's crown. We we declare that you've already won. This isn't something we're hoping for. This is something that this is a fact. Your, your victory is a historical fact, Jesus. And so we praise you and we confess you as the victor. And we give ourselves to you. Help us to hold on to you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.